0: Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. We are beginning Zechariah chapter 7. I'd like, to, on the notes, I've got 7, verses 1 through 14, but uh, we've got to kind of look at verses, or chapter 7 and 8 together. First thing I'd like to point out is uh, the outline on page 1. We've already, you know, we've, we're in the middle of the book, but this kind of breaks it down and lets us know what's going on, because if you just read through it, it just looks like a, a cluttered mess of, prophecies and information but i think we got a b c d there we can see that is broken down and the first point a is chapter one through six one verse what is it seven through six eight is going to be the eight visions and now we finish those eight visions uh, and that was on one night if you look up above there in the uh, time chart the uh, time frame there We've got events, as you can see on the board back here, from 5:20. Uh, Darius confirmed Cyrus's decree that the Jews continue rebuilding the temple. Meaning, Der- uh, Cyrus decreed it back here. They'd had a 20-year break where they kind of lost momentum. They had opposition, and even the information that it was decreed—that's that's the emperor declared that it should be done—that was kind of lost and buried in the bureaucrats of you know the opposition. Well, in 520, Darius is appealed to, and Ezra records that in chapter 6. We looked at that in Ezra. We'll go back to Ezra after we finish Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then Nehemiah, Esther. We'll go back to Ezra. Um, And they began to resume building the temple in 520. And so that's that first date right there, 520 B.C., We've already studied Haggai, but in five twenty, in the sixth and seventh month of that same year, Haggai began preaching his first three messages. You can see those in Haggai one and two. Zechariah the same year, but in the eighth month. So as Haggai is in the sixth and seventh month, the eighth month of five twenty, Zechariah preaches his first sermon. Zechariah chapter one verse one. The ninth month, you've got Haggai's fourth and fifth messages of in five twenty BC. So you can see. 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th month. And then the 11th month is right where we're at tonight. It's Zachariah, excuse me, that's the book of Zechariah, chapter 1 verse 7, the beginning of the eight visions. And that's what we talked about here and what has taken place so far is the eight visions and that is in the year 520. Now last week in the 11th month also we talked about Zechariah chapter 6 verse 9 through 15 that's where Joshua uh, receives a crown not the priestly crown but a royal crown and that is was a ceremony but it was symbolic of the coming Messiah and that is another section it kind of ties into the first eight visions but it's not one of the eight visions it builds on them and that is in the 11th month of 520 BC so all that's taken place in 520 BC Now we're going to have basically a two-year break. We're going to go from the 11th month of 520 up until tonight in Zechariah chapter 7, the 9th month of 518. And so we're going to begin here in 518 B.C. This is when the prophecies are going to begin again. And it's going to be a delegation from Bethel. Two guys are going to be sent as representatives from Bethel, which is 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And they're going to ask a question. Uh, this questions we're, we'll look at it. Uh, it, it, it. There's several things that can be played into it. What are they asking? But the, one of the main ideas is the temple has been, re, has been reengaged to be reconstructed in 520. It's going to be completed in 515, uh, 516, 515, right up in here. And this is 518, so it's right in the middle. The, the temple is going up. They're not near completion, but they're halfway through the process, and they've been fasting, and we'll talk about the fast since the temple was destroyed, and so they're coming down, and they're going to ask a question: Should we keep fasting? Now you can look at that several ways. Uh, are they looking to get out of fasting, or one of the you know like we could, are we done with this ritual, or are they asking just like? The disciples asked, just like we are constantly looking for, are they asking, since the temple is being rebuilt, are we done fasting? Are we entering into the kingdom age? Now you think, well, what? They wouldn't think that. Surely they know there's much more. No, no, they weren't sure. I mean, you've got to remember, when Noah got off the ark, it doesn't say explicitly, but you could imply that Noah got off the ark, and it's a a new beginning. The, the old world has passed away, and he's coming off into a, what is this? Just a bunch of mud drying up. It's like, well this, it's different, but it's not what I was hoping for. Or all the way through, Abraham was ready to offer Isaac. Uh, this was the sacrifice, the seed of the woman. No, he's not. Stop. All the way through, they're looking for something. And so these guys are looking at this temple going up, and all the prophets, and we've gone through them, every prophet ends up saying something about the disaster that's coming to their generation, but there will be a restoration. God will restore his people. And so what could be more of a restoration than 539, the people being sent out of Babylon back to rebuild the temple, and now in 520, 518, the temple is nearing completion, and it's like, are, are we there? Are we, are we at this, this kingdom age? And again, when we talk about the kingdom age, we've got a lot of more information to build on. They were just simply could be looking at it, and they have a lot of it, a lot of information. But just the restoration of the nation, uh, the Jews being brought back from all the nations and restored to the land. And they may have understood that. And God is going to answer that question. The Lord is going to answer, and that's what you see, point C, chapter 7 and 8. The word of the Lord given four times responding to the delegation. There's going to be four basic answers, or we can say, it's going to say the word of the Lord. And he's not going to answer the question directly, like yes or no. He's going to, as we got written down here, I've got the A, B, C, D under a, why do I, 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 you know, sometimes I'm just throwing notes together, but under point C, A, B, C, D, Chapter 7, verses 4 through 7, the Lord is first going to rebuke them. Chapter 7, verse 8, then he's going to command them to repent. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, he's going to promise a restoration, which indicates this is not it. He's rebuking them. You've got to repent. We've got to get a people ready for it. Basically, what the, the rebuke and the repent is... Is there ready? here? Here it is there. This is kind of the point of this part of the chapter. They're coming and they're ready for the kingdom. And God looks at them and says, no, the kingdom's not ready for you. You you need to repent. You are they're They're rebuked and they're told we need to clean this up. In other words, the people are who are going to receive the kingdom are going to be a people who are worthy of the kingdom. Now, right there, it's like, okay, well, we've got to get our act together and really clean up a, and start doing things right so God's kingdom will come. Well, as we know throughout history, that's going to always result in a failure. You're not going to be able to get yourself ready for the kingdom. And these Jews are going to be told, you're not ready for the kingdom. I'm looking for a people like this. And we'll talk more about that. But they are then promised there will be a restoration. And then, chapter 8, verse 18 describes the kingdom age so chapter seven and eight are going to be an answer to their question uh, should we stop fasting now i'm i'm reading a lot into that maybe uh but at the same time you can hear the answer is should we stop fasting because we're ready for the kingdom god is going to rebuke them and say no you're not i'm looking for this kind of people and you're not that kind of people but there will be a restoration and there will be a kingdom age so that pushes that, the people that are going to be ready for it into the future. And that's where we kind of left off. If you look in chapter 6, the last verse, uh, after looking at Joshua's crown, and it says, chapter 6, verse 15, uh, those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Now, here's the point. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Meaning this, this, the, the coming of the Messiah, the establishment of the kingdom, that's going to happen if you can diligently obey the Lord your God. Now that is being told the people of 520. 520, they're being told, yes, if you can diligently obey the Lord, you're ready, it's here. But the problem is, they can't. And we can go through the book of Zechariah. And the people of Israel, talking about the Jewish nation, they will not be ready for the kingdom. I'm flipping through Jeremiah or Ze- uh, Zechariah up to uh, chapter 12, verse 10. And we're going to get there here. We'll, we'll refer to it here in a minute. But chapter 12, verse 10, you can flip there and look. This is a day that is yet future. Jesus Christ is going to have to come, die on the cross for the sins of the world uh, many of the Jews will believe they become members of the church. It's word spreads to the Gentiles and we're in the church age. There, there are people being made ready for the kingdom through Jesus Christ. But the Jews, the national Jews, like even of this time, they, in a sense, are going to reject. In fact, I'll show you here in a minute. Zechariah is going to explain very clearly on point D that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be rejected But then the Messiah is going to have to come, and he's going to have to be received. And that's what this, this point D is. But in the middle of that point D that we're going to refer to, you get this verse right here, chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication they will look on me the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son on that day the weeping will be great and then it goes on in chapter 13 verse 1 on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of david and the inhabitants of jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity and on that day they will be made ready for the kingdom. And as you see in chapter 14, there is, in a sense, the second coming, the coming of the Lord again. But this time he's received and the kingdom comes. And so what they're talking about in 520, should we stop fasting? Because it looks like uh, the restoration is here. There's the temple. We're all back. Looks like we're good to go. And the first thing God's going to do is rebuke them. It's like, absolutely not you're not even doing it for the right reason and then he's going to tell them you need to repent what i'm looking for and we'll describe these characteristics do you have them and they're like well yes we can try we'll establish good laws but the thing is you're not born again the point is from the new testament point of view you can have all the stringent rules and you can do everything right but this thing is you've still got the sin nature you're still uh dead spiritually you've got to be born again and that will not take place until chapter 12 and 13 on the national basis of the nation of israel coming to christ now again individually they can come and and be believers in christ but uh that's point c and that's talking about kind of chapter 7 and 8 and then the rest of the book chapters 9 through 14 and again we're, we're in the middle of it looking at this verse right now but that is that is that is called oracles what we see in in this part these are eight visions this is a ceremony with symbolism this part right here chapter 7 and 8 is going to be four messages or words of the lord telling in response to their question but then chapter 9 through 14 they're they're oracles or they're going to be called the burden of zachariah and he's going to have basically two burdens chapter 9 through 11 zachariah's first burden is talking about the coming of the Messiah that we referred to at different times recently, the coming of the Good Shepherd, the True Shepherd, the Faithful Shepherd, but the he's going to be rejected, he's going to be driven out and and gotten rid of. That is the coming of Christ in in the Gospels, and he's rejected. Then he's going to talk about in chapter uh, twelve through fourteen. That's going to be Zachariah's second burden. And that is the appearing of the Lord again, what we just talked about. They will see him, the one they pierced. They'll mourn for him and they'll receive him and that will lead into the kingdom. So the first burden, the coming of the Messiah, but he's rejected. The second burden, the coming of the Messiah, but he's received. And that is really what this delegation, the reason I'm saying all that, is that what this delegation in chapter seven and eight is doing, they're coming and saying, Okay, should we stop fasting? Because it looks like we're uh, in the restoration. The temple's being rebuilt. The people are coming back. Uh, Babylon has set us free, or Persia has. And it's like, we're there. It's like, you're not even close. Look at your character. Look at your nature. Are you, uh, then it describes what they're going to become. And the thing that, you know, we know, they need to be born again. They need Jesus Christ, and not just laws and rituals. Well, anyway, going back up to the time chart right here. In bold, there is uh, 518, the delegation from Bethel arrived. Zechariah again receives the word of the Lord, four messages. That's chapter 7 and 8. Now, what's going to follow after this is three years after tonight's message, the Jews will complete and dedicate the temple. So just to put this again in perspective, this part right here, these eight visions and Joshua being crowned, happened about two years before chapter 7 and chapter 8. That's, that's what we're talking about right now in 518. Then the temple will be done in three years in uh, 515. So this is coming three years before the completion of the temple. And then just you got some other dates there that match the chart on the back. You got the reign of Xerxes, uh, followed by Artaxerxes. Xerxes. Xerxes is going to be the, the king who married Esther artaxerxes is going to be xerxes son Z- artaxerxes is going to be the one who sends nehemiah back artaxerxes is the one who nehemiah served wine in and this is a image in the Babylon, uh, the british museum a whole set of these dishes they're wine bowls about this big and they have written in cuneiform writing around it artaxerxes king of the world and describes in there you've got a whole set of them that were found, silver bowls, and they would drink wine out of these bowls. It's potential, if Nehemiah was the wine bearer, and that's got Artaxerxes' name on it, you know, we don't have fingerprints, but this would have been in the kitchen, in the <laughs> because that's Artaxerxes' wine bowl, and Nehemiah would have possibly handled that and gave it to him. They've got a whole set of them there that they found, more than just one. But nonetheless, that's the Artaxerxes. Uh, they're in 464 to 424, in 458, we're back in Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 7. 5,000 more Jews will return to Israel under Ezra's leadership. Now, notice that's 458. We're talking about 518 here. So, like 60-some years later, the Jews are still trickling back into the land. Then Artaxerxes first authorizes Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you know the story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah then leads a third exile, group of exiles, So there's going to be several, there's going to be this original return, and then they're going to trickle in. Then there's going to be the group that comes back with Ezra, and then there's going to be another group that comes back with Nehemiah, and those are the three that are recorded, plus there's groups that are trickling in. Okay, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and read Zechariah chapter 7, and uh, I'm just going to read chapter, I'll just read chapter 7. But as we read chapter 7, again, it's only 14 verses, uh, do understand that chapter 8 should be read, right? you know, it's part of this answer to this delegation. And we'll, you know, I'll I'll say that, but I'm not going to read it to you tonight. We'll come back and go through all this again in more detail. But chapter 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. On the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev, that would be December 7th, 518, the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regam melech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets this question. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Now, there's the question. That's that's all we know. So anything we build off of that, uh, you're, you know, you've got to kind of you know assume some things. But they, 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 it's a serious question. There are people living. I don't have a good map up here, but it's just it's just ten miles. Bethel is just ten miles from Jerusalem. Uh, it's the the border of northern israel so if this is the jordan river the dead sea jerusalem's right here there would have been a border northern israel bethel is right here on the southmost part of northern israel you know when they had the 10 tribes here and the two tribes down here Uh, 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 jeroboam set up the golden calf at bethel and if we go ahead and put the sea of galilee right here and then dan is just north of here on the northern border of of northern israel he put a golden calf here, and he put a golden calf here right on the southern border. So you don't need to go to the temple. Just go right here to Bethel. Well, that's the location of Bethel. Now, this is many years later. They've returned, and there are some Jews that have come back from Babylon living in Bethel. Uh, the names of the men that you see right there, they are Babylonian names. They're Jews, but they've got Babylonian names. Many, many of the Jews did. Um, which would indicate, we would assume, that they were born in Babylon and they themselves have come back from the exile uh, and are now living in Bethel. But they, the, the temple is not done. We know the temple is not done. But they were sent by some leadership, these two men, and the men with them. They are sent to Jerusalem to ask the priests who are at the temple. So there, there, there's been an altar functioning there in Jerusalem since they came back in 537 five see right there 536 the altar is built so that altar has been functioning the priests have been carrying out some kind of daily rituals for some 20 years uh and so there is in a sense a temple it's not complete Uh, so that when they go down here they are going to the priests who are at the temple but they're also going to that says right there it says the prophet's and it's interesting, you don't have an answer from the priest, you've got an answer from the prophets, which kind of puts in hand right here how close the prophets and priests were working. Again, I'll point out as we mention this, as we go by this, this is so different than before the exile. The priests like, or the prophets like Jeremiah or Amos or, you know, others, they were oftentimes at odds with the priest. The priests were the ones that put Jeremiah in stocks. Even though he was a member of the priesthood, they rejected him. And the people rejected them. But right here, we've already seen, because of Zechariah and Haggai encouraging the people and prophesying the people, they have reengaged the temple. The, the reason they reengaged building the temple was because Haggai and Zechariah came up and says, it's time to do this. And so the people are obeying the prophets the priest when these guys come to visit the priest ask them a question the prophets end up answering the question so you can see there is some positive things happening that you don't see before the exile of people actually trying to follow the Lord there is uh, again they've learned some kind of a lesson so there we, we've got that so far uh, and the question is should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years I'll read on then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, Zechariah. This is the first of four times the word of the Lord is going to come to him. Uh, and we can break them into four basic answers. The Lord asks response with a question. They just ask, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? The Lord's response, ask the people of the land and the priest. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month. So now the Lord adds. The fifth, he, uh, the fifth month, and then says the seventh month. I'll point this out real quickly. Uh, go over to chapter 8, uh, verse 18. This is, we're going to get to this in a couple weeks. But now notice this right here. The Lord adds to it again. Chapter 8, verse 18. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth. There's a new one the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and 10th month will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So that is, in a sense, as close as you're going to get to a direct answer. They ask, what about the fast in the 5th month? Now, these fasts right here are not mosaic fast. These are all fast. This one, particularly, is a fast commemorating the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And they are fasting for it for these. They said many years. Remember, they're going to say these many years. God is going to clarify that to point out something. Then he's going to talk about the fifth, and he's going to add also the seventh fast in the seventh month. And then later on, by the time the question gets them being answered, he's added the fourth and tenth month. They've actually got four fasts. They have four fasts that they have instituted, and all four, I'm going to show you, there's already a graph on the notes, all four of these fasts deal with Babylonians' destruction of Jerusalem, the taking of the city, the, burn, uh, the, the bre- breaching of the wall, the, 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 the uh, assassination of Gedaliah, and if you remember who get he's the governor that was put in place by Nebuchadnezzar and then the people killed him. So all of these are commemorating those things and they've been fasting for these many years. Nonetheless, just we'll talk about that in more detail. They say, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, Zechariah, Ask the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, for the past 70 years. That's pretty cool. They said for these many years. The Lord says when you fasted in the uh, fifth and seventh month for these. Uh, I've been counting. It's been 70 years the Lord says. And why does he point that out? Because he told them through Jeremiah. It will be 70 years. I'm going to drive you out for 70 years. And they come back and they say these many years. They don't say 70. They say many years. And how do you count the 70 years? There's a couple of ways. But the, the clearest way right here is the temple was burnt and destroyed in 586 B.C. It's going to be completed in 515 or 516 B.C., which is 516. And there you've got exactly 70 years. It was dedicated in 515, a few months after its completion. So there's your 70 years right there. They are here in 518 saying... Okay, we fasted these many years, not the full 70 yet. Uh, these many years, uh, should we quit? In other words, are—and again, what does it mean? I like to think it means, are we, are we coming into the kingdom now? Is it, is it time? This is the restoration. We're all good then, huh? And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This whole time you've been fasting, were you fasting for me or were you fasting for yourself? Was this human motivation? Because what you've got here, if you've got, first of all, you've got, not that it's bad, but they've got one, two, three, four fasts that were never declared by God. He told them he was going to destroy the city, burn it to the ground, destroy the temple, and they'd be exiles for 70 years. They began the fast, which again is not bad, uh, but they're not like mosaic fasts. They're not like the same same equality, I would say. But, But God knows what they're doing. Uh, Anyway, he says, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? And I think what he's saying right here, now, you're ready for the restoration. Now, are you here for the restoration for me? Or are you just here for the party? I mean, that, that's real, I mean that's a huge question. I mean, that's a question churches uh, need to be asking every time. Are you presenting the Lord to the people and they're coming to hear about the Lord? Or are you presenting them a feast and they're just doing it in the name of the Lord? Oh, we're, we're fasting and feasting. We're so glad to be here. Well, wait, wait a minute. If all we gave you was the Lord, would you still be here? Well, that, that's a tough question. What do you mean the Lord? I mean... Uh, you know yeah i mean we're not going to have any smoke machines or music or fun activities we're just going to give you the lord we're just going to teach 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 open you up to the lord you are gonna have a greater understanding greater communion with the lord it's like how long will that take well, a couple hours a week at least and then some time that you're gonna have to commit on your own it's like i oh, know i i'm not really interested in that and so i mean he's asking you think you're ready for the kingdom He says, you've been fasting, and you've also been feasting. Are you doing it for me, or are you just feasting for yourself? And again, that's that's the question he's asking. Uh, Verse 6. And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets? In other words, he's, he's saying now, You're very, very close to being in the exact same position your fathers were. Although you're saying, well, we're listening to the prophets, we're cooperating, but why are you here asking me this question? You're very close to being just in the exact same place your fathers were. In other words, he says, Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? In other words, the the negev is down here south the uh shephelah which is the coastlands over here the the foothills and the plains over here they're they pastures everything's at peace everybody's got food is this not what they said and the word of the lord came again to Zachariah. this is what the lord almighty says administer true justice show mercy now here's your list of five true justice show mercy compassion to one another do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the alien or the poor in your hearts do you think evil do not think evil of each other that's what the prophets had said verse 11 but they refused to pay attention they just continued in the prosperity they just con- watch they just continued in the peace they were in a in a sense in a very peaceful place but they could not produce mercy justice compassion they had to oppress and they had to think evil even though they were in a very nice situation so now you come to me today can we now enter the kingdom why would god expect he's saying anything different if i if if the kingdom came today and i were to let you in you would still not be able to produce justice mercy compassion you would still begin to oppress and think evil And verse 11, but they refused to pay attention stubbornly. They turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit. Now, that's a very important verse right there. The word the Lord had sent by his spirit, because that's one of the first prophetic places where it connects the spirit with the word and revealing the word. The New Testament explodes on that concept. Jesus explodes on that concept. But this is a very unique verse. We'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, They they would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when I called, I would not so when they called, i would not listen says the lord almighty i scattered them with the whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers the land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go again that's again it was so desolate meaning it was so dangerous just like the days of the judges you couldn't travel on the roads i mean there's so many parallels with the days of the judges the days of the prophets talking about the falling of the culture with where we're at today it's 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 is it's, it's so, i mean there's so many parallels and he got to a place where they could not come or go it was too desolate this is how they made the pleasant land desolate so in other words this right here he's giving them a, a rebuke and then he's calling them to repentance and he's telling them uh basically you're in the same position your fathers were and when they came in here they ended up failing and being driven from the land and in a sense that's what's going to happen they're going to come into the land they're going to restore the land they're going to approach and then we're going to get to chapters uh 9 10 11 the messiah is going to come the first time he's going to be rejected they're going to be destroyed again and not until the grace is poured out on them that the Messiah will come the second time, and then they're all going to go into the kingdom. So they, they will be going to the kingdom. Let's go to the notes and look at what we've got here on the notes uh, very quickly. Bottom of page 1, uh, right there, chapter 6, ends with 6.15. And I read that to you, pointing out that uh, when they can obey the voice of the Lord diligently, then it will be, if you can do this, then you will be there, but not until... And that will not happen for them as a nation until the grace is poured out on them. Jesus told them, we saw it in Mark last night, Jesus told them, uh, the sower sows the word, and he quotes the prophets, their their eyes are closed, their hearts are hardened, they cannot hear, they cannot receive. Even what they have is going to be taken away from them. They're going to just go further into the darkness. And that happened to them. Well, that day is coming where all of a sudden the Spirit's going to open their eyes and they're going to begin to hear and understand. Um, point one at the top of page two, one question in Zechariah chapter one, verse tw- two results in the Lord giving four responses. A, but none of the four responses actually answers the question. He's going to answer a bigger question. Instead, the four responses go directly to the heart of the issue. The focus on Zechariah and the Lord's ministry through Zechariah is, and again, this is the, the purpose of Zechariah's ministry, is spiritual renewal. And it's going to go all the way to the point that this spiritual renewal that Zechariah is calling for and the Lord is demanding is not going to happen until a spirit of grace and supplication is poured out from above. I mean, it's basic New Testament. You can't have spiritual renewal by just you know getting everything set up. We're going to try real hard. You have to be... Jesus said to Zechariah uh, uh, Nicodemus... You must be born again. I mean, that, that's, it, it's the same thing. You're not going to take it. That's what Zechariah is calling for. This new group has come back. They're determined to do it right, but they still have this huge obstacle that from the New Testament, you know what it is. They're not born again. They do not have the spirit. They do not have the life. You need to be transformed with the new life of Christ. And that will take place in an eschatological sense for the people of this time. Um, Zechariah 7, verse 1, on page 2. Here you have the English Standard Version. Same verse we just read, but now in the English Standard. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Again, December seventh, 518. Two years after the uh, night visions, three years before the temple was complete. Chapter 7, verse 2. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regum melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord. There you've got right below that. Now I've got the Hebrew with the transliteration and the literal translation. The first word, and when the people sent to Bethel, Sherezer, and with regum Melech, uh, and do, do notice Melech, that's, the word, that's your Hebrew word for king and his men to pray before Yahweh. Now, that's, that's what, that is what the Hebrew says. Going down this list, one, Bethel's 10 miles north. The leaders of the Jews in Bethel sent two representatives to ask the priests a question. The two Jewish delegates had Babylonian names. Now, I don't know, point four, that's just another I- a way of translating it. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. Nobody translates it this way. I'm not even sure if it's worth pointing out. But another possible translation in view of this verse is a Jew who was still living in Babylon named Bethel-Sharizer, which literally means house of God, protect the king, meaning he was there as he was being sent as a representative of Darius from Persia, had the title of Regamelech, which means literally king's friend. So he was the king's friend and his name means house of God, protect the king. And he would have come from Babylon with royal authority from Darius to ask this question for Darius, and the, or he maybe got permission from Darius to ask, what should we be doing in Babylon? Uh, that's another way of looking at it. Nobody translates it that way, but again, it's just fun to see how these have some moving pieces. You move a word around, and it kind of sends it a different direction. Uh, chapter 7, verse 3. Saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts, again, Lord of hosts, Lord of Armies. This throughout this book, the Lord is, and it's 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 Yahweh, uh, the Lord of the, the the spiritual armies, all the powers that are in place with Persia coming, Greece. That's important. Cyrus is impressive. Cambyses, Darius is impressive. All these men, Alexander's going to be impressive, but the Lord of Hosts is the Lord over all the spiritual rulers and authorities that are over the men that are in these places of leadership. That's kind of what that that means. The Lord of hosts means the Lord of armies, and it's not the Lord of human armies, it's the Lord of the the armies of the heavens and the rulers. So he's controlling, you may have situations, but all of the situations are controlled by, we would say, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, but the rulers and authorities in heavenly places are controlled by Yahweh himself. So we're talking about the tippity-top of the of the control. Whenever it says the Lord Almighty. Um uh, okay, say uh, chapter seven, verse three, bottom page two, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? A delegation came from Bethel. Uh, the only fast the law of Moses decreed was the day of atonement. So the fasts that are listed here, none of these are mosaic The only fast that they had was one that they applied on the Day of Atonement once a year. Uh, and That's in Leviticus. Turn the page. The fast mentioned in this verse that the delegates from Bethel were asking about was not this biblical fast, but a fast in the fifth month that memorialized the destruction of the temple in 586. Now here you have a list of the four fasts that are going to be mentioned later in chapter 8. And I'm going to begin with the 10th, the bottom one. They kind of go in this order. The, the fast on the 10th month was the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's siege against Jerusalem. That was the, the fast of the 10th month, the beginning of the siege. So this is really the 10th month, but it would be the first one in the sequence of events. And that's Jeremiah 52. Uh, excuse me second kings 25 1 that's where the siege began they began to mourn oh we're surrounded and he's going to knock our walls in or break a, breach the walls and come in through that place in the wall then the fourth month there was another fast and that was mourning the capture of jerusalem jerusalem was captured the kings were taken then the fifth month, it took them a month. They've got all the captives out. They've plundered all the place, all the houses, all the temples, all the palaces. And now they're going to burn the city and tear down the temple. So the, the siege began in the 10th month. The fourth month, the city was captured. Uh, they burnt it in the fifth month, destroying Solomon's temple. And then the seventh month, that would be here, Now, what takes place here, and we could go to Jeremiah 41, begin looking at this, but I'll I'll try to paraphrase it for you. Nebuchadnezzar now controls Judah. Uh, It's his territory. Nebuchadnezzar was never there. He was always up north, up by Carchemish, sending control, or Riblah, controlling the force. He had more than one battle going on. He wasn't just fighting Jerusalem. He was fighting all over the Middle East. He had his general down there, and his general is the one that's going to find Jeremiah and, and release him from the chains. They, he, they knew, he knew who he was. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar is going to set up a government for the people that are left. A bunch of people are taken captive. A bunch of people are slaughtered. There's dead bodies in the streets. But there are people that are left. The poor, the farmers, just some people there are left. But they need some kind of local government. So Nebuchadnezzar appoints the man named Gedaliah. Gedaliah is the the governor of Judah, not the king, but the governor with royal authority from Nebuchadnezzar. The Jews, who had been rebelling against Jeremiah for 40 years as he was talking to them, they decide a couple of things really... I mean, you could just... uh, What would... insane. Uh, I want to use the word mentally mentally ill uh, you see it in our country i mean <laughs> you see it happening it's like what are these people thinking they're so far gone they're mentally ill and you got to watch yourself because we are part of this culture. i i'm not talking about you being mentally ill but the idea is i watch myself i'm part of this culture and as i go as things decline the, your standard of righteousness gets lower and lower and lower and pretty soon what used to be darkness is just kind of now it's almost it's like twilight i can still i'm starting to be understand it used to be just i don't even understand that the thing is i'm starting to understand darkness a little bit it it, it almost i can almost see it i can almost understand it's like that's not a good sign you're understanding some of these things that if they're they're hollywood or the the musical artists the the politicians uh, it's like you you that makes sense it's like i can see what they're thinking it's like Oh no. And when you, and you know, that's just me watching myself and I'm, I'm, I'm resisting it. Just think of those that have bought into it and they've rejected God. They've resisted God. I'm trying to follow God and I'm being, I feel myself going down the drain as I'm looking for God. I'm looking this way, but I'm being sucked this way. What's happening to those people that are looking away from this and they're looking, they're, they're swimming into this. They're, this is where we want to go. Now you start watching them make decisions and it's like what don't you understand or you see things happening and you say well we should and everyone seems that this is fine this is this doesn't work this is not real this is not the way reality functions my point these people had rejected we're talking about the people of jeremiah's day jeremiah's message and the lord for some 40 years and now their city is under siege their city is captured their city and temple is burned Another third of them, a third captivity goes. A bunch of them, their families are dead in the streets. A bunch of them are in chains heading off to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar sets up a government. Says, okay, Gedaliah is going to be in charge. He'll oversee what is left. They come to two conclusions. We need to kill Gedaliah. And so they assassinate Gedaliah. After Nebuchadnezzar has In 605, 597, and then 583. It's been a series of years that Nebuchadnezzar has invaded. And finally, he lays siege, captures it, burns it, and then appoints Gedaliah. And Gedaliah is the governor. And so, okay, Nebuchadnezzar says, this problem is solved. I'm moving on, going to take my troops somewhere else. And the Jews, uh, there's a bunch of them dead. There's a bunch of them gone to Babylon. But there's a few of them left in the land. And they say, you know what we should do? Let's all put our, our, our insanity together. Let's put our, our mental illnesses together and come up with an idea. Yes, I know what it is. Let's kill the governor Nebuchadnezzar put in charge. And they kill him. And it's like, oh wait, that wasn't a good idea. We should probably run away. So they go to Jeremiah, and they say, you know the story. They go to Jeremiah. They say, Jeremiah, I think we should go to Egypt because Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back and burn this place to the ground. Jeremiah says, you guys, he's already taken three levels of captivity. He's already burnt everything. There's nothing left here but poor people. They say, yeah, but we should leave. They say, would you ask the Lord for us? And we promise, we haven't listened to you for 40 years. Now, this is insanity. This is a people that cannot think. They say to him, You ask the Lord because everything you said came to pass. We should have listened to you. We should have listened to you. Now, ask the Lord if we can go to Egypt. We'll listen to you this time. Jeremiah so says, Okay. I think it was three days. He says, I'll come back in three days and I'll give you the Lord's answer. So he goes away, he comes back. And he says, The Lord says Nebuchadnezzar is not coming back. You are where you're supposed to be. I will protect you here. Do not go to Egypt. I need you to stay here. Their response, You're lying to us, Jeremiah. You're working for Nebuchadnezzar. We know this. We're going to Egypt. And they took him captive and kidnapped him and went to went to Egypt. They got there just in time for guess what? Nebuchadnezzar's troops to arrive and destroy Egypt. So they they, they could have stayed they could have stayed right here in Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar would have marched by down to Egypt. But instead they go, let's flee to Egypt. So when Nebuchadnezzar marches by, this is all empty because they all fled, and marches here, and they get to go through the siege, the capture, and the burning again. That is insanity. And that is a nation that, it's like, when it talks about their hearts being hard, their eyes being closed, they're calloused, they cannot see, they cannot understand. We're in a culture where you can show them whatever you, you, you see it. It's like, this is going the wrong way. Well, let's, let's all make a plan. Yes, let's intensify this and increase it and make it worse. It's like, what's going on here? This is what it looks like when a people is under the wrath of God. When you're under God's judgment, you can't think. You, the, our goal, one of our goals right here, like I was talking about, we're, we're going down the drain. We've got to keep looking at the light because even the very our fact that we are present here—think of Jeremiah being in this—he was there in the siege. He wasn't like, you know, writing letters from Rome or something. Rome wasn't an issue there, but he was in the siege. He was there when it was captured. He watched it burn. We know he wrote Lamentations. He was—he could smell the smoldering bodies. And then he was there when they said, "We killed Gedaliah. This is going to work out great." It's like no he was there the whole time and then when they went to egypt they drug him with him so he he ends up going to egypt now the four fasts are now in exile for the last 70 years they have celebrated they're asking about this fast right here we've been fasting for many years the lord says you mean 70 years like i told you it was going to be well yeah it's been 70 years they've been fasting for the burning of jerusalem and the temple for 70 years God says, and you've also been fasting in the seventh month. What was that fast for? That was for, in a sense, their last act of rebellion, which was killing the governor Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king that God says, I've handed everything over to him. Jeremiah says, God has placed everything in Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And Nebuchadnezzar put Gedaliah there. And the insane people killed the governor that nebuchadnezzar had put in place that god had put nebuchadnezzar in place they killed him and so they were fasting the last act of rebellion in the seventh month and god brings that one up he says you've been fasting the fifth and seventh month and then by the end he mentions the fourth and the tenth and says all of these fasts now, in, interesting these were not instituted by god these are the people remembering historical events god says at the end by the time we get done with chapter seven and eight in chapter eight he's going to say These four fasts, he says, they're going to become days of joy or joyous celebrations. And that's talking about in the kingdom age. Somehow, they'll be able to look back. (laughs) All of us will be able to look back on our lives, our experience, and every one of these things, somehow, because of Jesus Christ and redemption, is going to be turned mourning is going to be turned into joy it's going to be like ah something came out of each of these events that is going to be a source of joy not the sin but because god was there leading us through and and taking our our sin discipline punishing judgment or whatever it was leading us to a place of maybe greater understanding uh what i again i don't know how i don't know how you can take all these fasting days of these major defeats because of their rebellion towards God, and God and they're instituted by men, and God says they'll become a, a reason for celebration. It's like uh, that again would be an example of the magnificent of God. Okay, chapter uh, uh, page three point five. The delegation asks, as we have done for so many years, but the Lord identifies it as for these seventy years. He changes it. And there I write down the possible 70 years. The temple destroyed. Right, I already showed you that. Uh, point B, I, I'm saying potentially, a lot of the commentators, and again, I, 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 you know, you, you, gotta, you don't want to just, I, I know that I, I'm, in a sense, rocking the boat here a little bit. And in a sense, this is true. They're talking about a ritual. We've been fasting. And God is going to come back, and he's going to replace that with actual, I'll say, character. Or we could say, instead of ritual, reality. <clears throat> and there's a truth in there. They are asking, should we continue this ritual? And God says, and one most of the commentators say, it's not the ritual. What I need is a real character change. And, and that, that's within there. But there's, a, there's two chapters <coughs> talking about this. And I think this is, is in that conversation, but I think their question is probably more like this, point B, 5B. The delegation was asking things like, has the kingdom come? Is this now the fulfillment of the prophecies, prophesied restoration the previous prophets spoke about? Should we stop fasting and begin to celebrate? Are we in the kingdom age? And the reason I would, I would say that celebrate is because God goes and talks about, were you fasting for me? Or when you were feasting, were you feasting for me? He says, no, you were feasting for yourself. You were fasting for yourself. And if you come into the kingdom with that attitude, you're still going to be living in the kingdom of God for yourself, with all the benefits for yourself. And you still won't have any character or reality. So it's not like God is saying, I don't think, get rid of the ritual and give me some reality. Because as you read the book of Zechariah, they can. You can't do this until that supplication of grace is poured out and you are indeed born again. So again, that's a little uh, thing to consider. Chapter. I'll just re- finish reading verse, page 3, and then I'm going to show you something here at the end. Someone asked something last night. Then the word of the Lord came of hosts came to me, say to, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month to, and in the seventh month for those 70 years or these 70 years, Was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, they were living in peace? And they told them to repent and they couldn't. And that's kind of, we'll kind of pick that up next week and continue with that. I want to point this out as we go. Someone asked about this last night. Um, I used the word, Exegetical or exegesis of, and this is on here. And I pointed out the bottom of page five. What is called? This is the proper way of studying the Bible. And again, different people have this. Gets you out of that. This gets you out of that camp of mysticism of where you've got to read the Bible blindly. I I just read this verse. You don't know who they're talking to. You don't know any historical background. You just read this verse. And then you spiritualize it and mystically feel the Spirit show you what it means. It, it's out of context. And you say, well, the Spirit showed me. Uh, well, listen, the Spirit is in the Word, uh, and, and your imagination is not the Spirit. Uh, if you just want to take a verse and put it on a poster and say, ah, oh, it's like, that's, that's not Bible study. That's you being a mystic and just taking things and, and trying to make sense out of it. It's like, it's like me doing chemistry. It's like, well, here's some stuff and here's some stuff. It's like, I don't know, I put a little or baking or whatever. You don't have a recipe. You're just mixing stuff together. This right here is called ice. And I, I mentioned this last night in in passing, but I I copied a page out of the framework book. Uh, this is, how you, this is how you study the Bible. This is how you teach the Bible. This is how the Spirit changes people's lives. It, the Spirit of God changes people's lives through the Word of God. And the Word of God has to be kept in context because it is real words from a real time with a real thought. The thought is already there. You don't provide the thought. You discover the thought. Isagogics is the study of the historical background. You've got to know the history. You've got to know, like, basic Bible. You've got to know who wrote the book, who they wrote the book to, and what the situation was. If you don't know who received the book, you're going to read it like Paul wrote you a book in 2022. He didn't write you any letters. You received zero letters from the Apostle Paul. You have a letter that Paul sent to the Corinthians. You've got to interpret that correctly with an ancient interpretation and when you have the correct interpretation, you now can make a modern application. You've, you can't make a modern interpretation because it's not a modern book. It's got to be read in the context of the time. You've got to keep it historical. So you mean the Bible's not talking to me? Well, in a sense, no, it's not. It wasn't written to you. It was written to the people that it was addressed to. But it is the Word of God. And the Spirit of God does illuminate you to understand it and then make application to where you're at. Guaranteed. You get the wrong interpretation, you're going to get stupid application. So you try to interpret it like it was written to you in 2022, I guarantee your application is wrong. So if you want to be wrong in the interpretation, you're going to be wrong on the application. Look at churches today. They're applying all kinds of stuff because... They don't even they don't even know history, and like I was talking about it somewhere was it Sunday. We're in an age, as our culture is collapsing, where we do not have we have trouble. But look at the younger generation; they don't have the attention span to learn history. You don't just like watch a TikTok video. Oh, I got it. You're gonna this takes time. This is almost like part of the judgment of God. We do not have the capacity to learn the history to even begin the next process. The bottom one, exegesis, is right there in the third paragraph. It's the study of Scripture in the original language, or at least in, you know, language. Exegesis, the third area, it says, is the interpretation of Scripture. The word exo, exego, ex, ex means out and the word ago means to lead. So exegesis from exgo means to lead out. You're gonna, there's something in the text. The words themselves are real. They've got a real meaning. There was a mind behind the, uh, or the organizing of the words, say, Paul, or say, Jeremiah, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But there was thought in those words. Your job as an exegetical scholar or as an exegete is to draw out of the Scriptures the thought that was placed in the Scripture. The opposite is, ice, O oh Jesus. Same thing, lead out or lead uh, it, it means to bear, to bring, to lead. But ice means just the opposite of out. It means into. You want to go to a modern church service? In many cases, they're not trying to find out what it says. It takes way too much time. It's much easier to take a thought that we all agree on. Name your favorite political subject. We all have this thought. Ah. And then read it into the text. This is what David was saying in in Psalms right here. It's like, no, he wasn't. You've got to find out the historical background and then draw out what David was saying. Now you've correctly interpreted it. Now you can now make application. But if you say, okay, here's my thought. I'm going to preach on, name a subject. I'm going to preach on fatherhood. And these are the ten points... I think these are the 10 points. What do you need to do to be a good father? This, 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 this. Okay. Now I just need some verses. <laughs> you're eisegeting. You're you're reading ah, here's a verse. Now, again, you're dealing with the Word of God, and just like if you're dealing with toxic chemicals, you're going to get some and burn your skin. Because you're flipping through Scripture, you're going to get some on your skin. You're going to learn something from the Word of God, but you're completely out of context. You're not going to get as much as you would if you let the Word teach you instead of looking into it. That would be an example of ice of Jesus. And then the C category, I-C-E, ice, categorical, is theology. Is you've got to put everything everything has to be categorized if it's if it's here's some verses about sin here's verses about angels here's verse whatever fathers you've got to take your verse on fathers and put it with all the other verses in a category on fathers to develop your theology if it's sin you can't take one verse and say this is what i think about sin you can But that thought has to be able to run through the filter of theology, which is all the verses about sin and come out on the other side without being damaged by the other verses. See, it's got to be categorical, that, that basic biblical theology. Historical setting, categorically organized and judged, let scripture interpret scripture, and then exegetical, meaning draw out or lead out of the scripture what is being said and when you can do that you can teach the bible and that is basic bible teaching and if you don't do that if you don't know the history if you're trying to read in and and make your favorite point and if you don't understand theology i mean you don't have things lined up uh, you're you're going to have bad interpretation bad teaching and crazy crazy application and you're going to have insanity not just in your culture but you're going to have it in your churches that are supposed to be the light of the world and they're just sending everybody further into darkness i'll pray and then you can agree or disagree or whatever you want to do i will continue with do a better job with zacharias 7 those early verses next week father I do thank you for the chance to look into your word we ask that we would Again, humble ourselves and allow your spirit to lead us with the new life. Lead us with your word. We do thank you for the fellowship we have with other believers and ask that we again may grow and be useful for you at this time uh, in your kingdom. We do pray for our nation, especially in these times of darkness and growing darkness. We ask that we may, in this time, be able to find the light and hold to the light, keep our eyes on the truth, Uh, maybe not be able to change the things we want to change, but at least be able to hold to the truth and be a witness and and have a testimony for you at this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.